Welcome to episode one of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women in theater take center stage in lives they love. I'm your host and grown-up theater kid extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. Now, normally what each episode will look like is some thoughts from me, followed by an interview with a badass theatrical human. But this first episode is going to look a little different than upcoming epis. Is epis a thing? I'm going to make it a thing because I like it. Anyway, it's important to me to lay the groundwork and be super clear about why I started this podcast and what my goals are. For the past two-ish years, I've been a life coach for theatrical women and grown-up theater kids, and I love it. But what I've noticed is that the women I work with have trouble standing center stage in their own lives. Hence the tagline of this podcast. See if any of these scenarios resonate. You're tap dancing your heart out in the dark and the spotlight is center stage empty. You're giving a brilliant monologue backstage where no one can hear you or see you. You're standing smack dab center stage in the wrong show. Or maybe you're operating the follow spot for seven other people at the same time. Now we're speaking metaphorically, of course. Designers and technicians, I see you. It's not bad to actually literally stand backstage if the work that you love is backstage or in the booth or the catwalk or the lobby. But in our extended metaphor, where the stage is life and you are the person that your life is supposed to be about, you should be in the spotlight. Here's another thing I've noticed. The folks I've worked with already know everything they need to know to live a focused, aligned, brilliant, fulfilling life. I mean, come on, we do it every day in our stage work. On the surface level, you can have fun crafting a director's vision for your life and aligning your costumes and scenic and audio choices to it just like you would in a play. You can fine tune your playwriting and start learning a new inner monologue. You can use the tricks and tools of stage management to reduce overwhelm and gain a modicum of control over the happenings of your life, which side note, I have a free mini e-course about this on my website, emilystamets.com. You should check it out. All the practical strategies of the theater work in our lives and it's super fun to do. On a deeper level though, all of the universal wisdom of the theater applies to our lives as well, especially when we feel the most stuck. You'll hear guests on upcoming episodes answer the question, what one thing do you do in your theatrical work that if I applied it to my own life would make my life better? And the answers have nothing to do with color, shape, and form, or color-coded binders, or tap dancing. Sadly, I'm still waiting for the day when someone says tap dancing. Rather, their answers are more nebulous, abstract, emotional, and like energy-ish. 
And a shocking number of them are about the basics. Prepare, listen and connect. Say yes and, be specific with your language. If it's not yours, don't touch it. Which to me says something about the wisdom that we as creative women have. Like, dude, OMG, we already know everything we need to know to live awesome lives. But somewhere between the awesome aligned work that we do in the theater and the couch in our living rooms, we forget. And that's what this podcast is for. To help you remember that you are wise. You are brilliant. You know some seriously profound shit. I'm thinking of this wisdom in two categories, and I've organized the podcast around them. The first is inner wisdom, and the second is collective wisdom. Now, inner wisdom is the stuff that you know, like really know, know. It's the answers that come when you plant your feet, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and ask. It's the lessons you've learned the hard way and the innate smarts that you were born with. We all have this inner wisdom, and theatrical women have it in immense abundance. On the flip side, collective wisdom is the stuff that we know. It's the guidance we receive when we sit in a darkened theater after a long tech rehearsal. It's the systems and traditions that we inherit from the folks who have worked in this space before or who have performed these words before. It's the truth that comes when we plant our feet, close our eyes, take a deep breath and ask, what would Patti Lapone say? We are so, so fortunate to be connected to both of these sources of wisdom through our work in the theater. Whether your last show was in high school or you auditioned for your local community theater four times a year or you're tapping your way through eight shows a week on Broadway, you've got it. Because in the theater, we engage in a 360 degree study of humanness. Other arts and sciences look at smaller chunks, discrete pieces, one at a time, the brain, the body, the gut flora, color, shape, movement, words, thoughts, feelings. But in the theater, we explore them all. They're integrated. We've got to say lines and move and relate to others. There is a space with stuff in it and bodies with clothes on them and light so everyone can see all of that. There are words and music and silence. There is emotion and thought and transcendence. And even if we choose not to include one of those elements, that choice in itself becomes a statement. We're so lucky and so badass. Basically, what I'm saying is that you, as a theatrical human, have an honorary master's degree in human. And this podcast is all about helping you apply it. I hope you're ready. We're kicking off today with a segment that I'm calling Voices of the Ensemble. It's where I reach out through my microphone into your homes and bring in the thoughts, stories, and wisdom of listeners just like yourself. Today's Voices of the Ensemble is a bit of a mishmash of topics with a common thread, of course, of how can I apply my theatrical awesomeness to my everyday life? Here we go. Hi, Emily. This is Allison Moon. So yeah, basically, um, to just recap, I was a lighting designer at 14 years old. I got kind of handpicked to help do technician stuff for outside rentals for my theater and then I started doing lighting design and lighting tech stuff for a lot of local theaters all before I could drive and 
I liked acting fine and I liked singing and I was a talented kid and I was conventionally good looking. And so for me, it felt very normal to go on stage. But what I found so empowering about being behind the scenes was exploring a lot of kind of nascent gender identity stuff and uh, learning the power of capability and the power of strength, like literal physical strength, as well as tenacity and uh, to really uh, advocate for myself. A lot of times when people would come in, they wouldn't believe that a 14 or 15-year-old girl was the person in charge. And I had to learn how to make sure that that was known, even for adults who were coming in to rent the space. But actually, it was much harder to convince my peers, who were often adolescent boys. And I just found a lot of strength and power in finding the hidden spaces of the theater or being able to have access to places in the theater, like the grid that no one else was allowed to go in, being able to run the heavy machinery, like our lift that no one else was allowed to do. And I, I liked that. I liked having the ring of keys that gave me access. I liked the power of being the first person in the space and the last one to lock up. And while I certainly had jealousy come up when I was passed over on roles because people wanted me to be backstage because I was more capable, uh, I would be given I would be given a role, and then I would say, hey, my director would say, hey, please, actually, could you be the stage manager instead? <laughs> Um, and I remember that being a little bit of a bruise to the ego, but I think that the stuff that I learned was far more empowering. Um, and I really enjoyed learning that way. And then I enjoyed, as I grew older, the power that comes from doing everything. Because uh, I think oftentimes as an actor, that's one silo. Uh, but as a tech person, I've learned every job. And I, I love having every job. I love knowing spaces inside and out. And because of that experience, I ended up going into arts administration and starting uh, by producing theater and uh, doing executive assistant stuff for executive directors of theater companies. And now I'm a manager of my own theater space. And I love that this, that journey that started when I was 14 continued in that direction. So I, I'm very uh, proud of that history. I'm very grateful to be able to share my story. Hi, Emily. My name is Amy Meredith. I am in San Diego, California. Um, you asked me to give you a call and explain what I meant by uh, my 9-to-5 job being my alternate, my alternate universe and my theater job being my real world. Um, I've been thinking about it all day today, the best way to describe it. And as I was thinking about it and going about my day-to-day and -day my job, I was also thinking about a show I'm doing. And... <laughs> As I'm working on my spreadsheets at work, I also have a spreadsheet on my desktop that has my show notes on it. So as I'm listening to my music, <laughs> trying to do my regular job, I will stop and put in my notes for later on so I don't forget things. And, yeah, it's like Superman and Clark Kent. I get to go to my jobby job that pays my bills and pays for my car and my Disney's annual pass, and I sit and I do my work, and I'm very mild-mannered, and then I wait till I can leave, and I can go be in charge of my show, and I can lead my group and my actors and my singers, and I can do what I love, which is the theater and choreography. Uh, so, yeah, I try to balance both, but it's just the racehorse in the gate waiting to get out of there so I can get into my theater and do what I want to do. 
Um, I also did another podcast with uh, my friends called the House of Pop Culture. We have done a Broadway episode, so I hope you look us up and listen to it. You can hear a little bit more from me. Again, my name is Amy, and I hope you have a great day. Bye. Hi there. This is Allison Brenner calling from San Diego. So the topic is how the theater helped me break out of the box of being a first-grade teacher. Well, being a first-grade teacher does require some amount of acting, and many times I had to act angry and scold a child when I really wanted to bust out laughing, or I had to act surprised when I knew the outcome. Even reading a story to the class required acting out the part. I was good at that, but it was really never enough. I didn't know it at the time, but the box I was in consisted of these walls, appropriateness, consistency, promptness, and responsibility. It seems I took the education of the future generations very seriously. I felt that socially and personally, I was expected to be a goody two-shoes. Now that I'm thinking about that, it seems like it was a self-imposed restriction and constriction. With acting, I could fearlessly shout, fuck, and shit. Imagine the freedom of that. (laughs) I could be colorful, naughty, girly, silly, old, young, responsible, irresponsible. A million personas to explore, not just the mild-mannered, kindly teacher outfit that I had created for myself. When my synagogue was planning its first ever talent event called Showtime, which was a musical comedy review, I decided to check it out. There was something in me that just felt this was the path to take. And in my entire life, I have always followed the path that seemed interesting and unusual and exciting. And it's never let me down to this day. I, when I was there, when I was acting, when I first started, it felt like I was a bird freed from a cage of appropriateness. I felt like I belonged. You know, we actors, we were all a little off the wall, all these talented people. This quote-unquote found family of open-minded people supported my yearnings and efforts. No one else in the world until then had ever supported me in that way. People just poo-pooed. And when I told jokes at parties and um, social events, you know, it was just like, oh, she's funny with a couple of cocktails. But these people actually encouraged me. And taking criticism became easier because I trusted the director to recognize and exploit my talent, my gem. And I found that I could be me. I really didn't know who I was, but I was finding me. Let's say that. I was finding out who I was. And I was getting better and happier. So as a result of my experience in the theater, my shell began to crack. My jack-in-the-box popped up. I always say that, that it felt like I was a jack-in-the-box, and uh, that old antique toy and when it when you wound it up and wound it up and it got to the point dun 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 pop out, it was so inappropriate for so many people. They tried to stuff me back in the box, but but I wouldn't go back in. 
because I knew that being out in this light was where I wanted to be. And it, it was kind of scary when my new self emerged. I I felt uncomfortable to actually be me. I, I had to accept myself and forgive myself. And I had to see that there was this fabulous, multifaceted, genuine, one-of-a-kind woman who had never existed before. Hello, this is Laura Pieri. I am talking to you from Hamilton, Montana. And I'm excited to talk to you about what's the most important life lesson I've learned in the theater. Um, so I am a stage manager by schooling, and I have done semi-professional theater. Um, and one of the wonderful things I've learned, especially as being a parent and running my own business, um, the most important life lesson I've learned so far in the theater is that I, I need to react calmly to every crisis, and I don't have to buy into other people's emergencies. Uh, being a stage manager, you are taking information from so many different areas of the theater all at once. And rightfully so, everybody believes that their job is the most important. So it becomes a triage of, do I have to take care of this crisis right now, or is this something that can actually wait a few minutes and I can give a better response? So being a, mo a mom of three small children, it's, always, it's very easy to get caught up in their drama. But I, now I'm able to respond in a way that is actually helpful and constructive. Okay, tell me exactly what happened, tell me exactly what you need, and let's see what we can do about this. And it, I have noticed that it has saved off so many problems in my own life with my own business and in my life with my children. I am a former English major. Uh, during my six years at university, um, I had the opportunity to read and, and study quite a few plays. Um, what struck me about my favorite ones was how much they left to the imagination. Uh, before writing In the Silence of Words, my play, I did a lot of research to get a better understanding of how I could achieve that result. Um, all the books and articles I found said the same thing. If you want your play to be memorable, uh, force people to read between the lines. Um, I love haiku. Um, I write them. Um, and haiku work in the same way. Uh, in just a few words, you have to be able to freeze a moment or scene in time while also triggering emotions. Um, in, in The Silence of Words, um, my play uh, tackles topics that would usually make people very uncomfortable. Uh, but, but the fact uh, that they are part of a play uh, where subtlety is of the essence, uh, makes the reader's or viewer's experience easier. Uh, the impact is usually less abrupt than in movies or novels, and, and people uh, are free to draw their own conclusions uh, based on, on the kind of emotions they have experienced during the play. Um, truly, this is something unique about theater, and um, I believe that it is the reason why it, it is the best medium with poetry uh, to use uh, when, you want, when you want to share an important message uh, that could change the status quo. This is Caitlin Stafford from Spirit Gum Theater Company in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I think one of the most important lessons I have learned in theater over the years is to learn as much about 
everything as you can because you never know when it will come in handy. Um, you never know when that tiny lesson you learned over a decade ago in scene shop class in college will come in handy with the show that you're working on right now. Um, even if it's just the knowledge uh, might make you a better performer because your character is a builder. Um, especially actors, I think, need to spend the time learning about the parts of theater that are not the uh, the scene parts of theater, that, that are the um, the backstage things, the builders, the costume designers, uh, how to stage manage, all of those things come together that make a performance really successful because they're all making you look good. So you need to find out what they're doing to make you look good. And that'll make you respect them more. It'll make you admire them. And when you feel that way about what they're doing, um, you will respect yourself as a performer more. And you will maybe leave your ego at the door and the performance, the production in general will be more, in general will be more successful. Hey there, uh, this is Charlie Martin from Minnesota. I'm calling in just to talk about my experience playing a whore. Um, I'm actually doing that right now. I'm playing Nimue in Camelot and she's basically just like the lake slut and I love her. It's really interesting for me because I feel like as, you know, a bigger woman, there's not a lot of roles that make me feel attractive when I'm playing them, and Nimue is doing that so much for me. I love playing Nimue. I get to feel really pretty, and I get to wear a pretty costume, and it just makes me feel so much more confident about myself that I can stand up there in this role and go, yes, I am desirable. We all know this. Yay for me! Hi, Emily. It's Vivian Lermond. And I noticed that you wanted a few words about experiencing dramatic ledges. And so I am leaving them with you. I really think that we all have experienced those dramatic ledges, and they're turning points where we have to make a decision to resist change or take a risk and jump. So it is the conflict that drives every plot forward, no less important in comedy than drama. And I choose to write comedy because it gives an audience a chance to see their own reflection in the characters I create. And while there may be laughter, there's also thought. And we look at it and say, gosh, I've been there. I've done that. That's me. And so... That's why I'm a playwright, and that's why I really prefer to craft my words in a comedic way. Thanks for the opportunity. Hi, my name is Jen Abels, and I live in San Diego, California. I'm someone who has struggled with perfectionism all my life. I don't know what it is about beating yourself up or constantly ruminating over thoughts of what I could have done better or differently. I mean, it doesn't get me anywhere but angry, disappointed, or basically feeling like crap. But I honestly can't remember not feeling that way. So for that to have spilled over into my improv journey was no real surprise for me. As I started taking improv classes, I noticed I'd spend the entire drive home thinking about how I could have made a scene better, thinking I might never really get a handle of this improv thing. 
the further I got into classes, the harder I was on myself. I would be so in my head about not wanting to make a mistake uh, that I'd end up overthinking a scene. And that would likely lead to a future scene not going great because I was still stuck on the make, mistake I made 30 minutes ago. And then I'd end up walking off stage, starting to beat myself up again. And then I'd continue that on the way home in my car and sometimes even led into the next day. All this for a class that was supposed to be fun. Um, during that time, I was taking classes with Tommy Gallen, and I asked him how to get out of my head. He broke it down in a way I hadn't really thought of. When I was in my head, I was missing what was happening in my scene with my partner, and in turn, I might be letting them down by not really listening or paying attention as fully as I should. And if I didn't let it go, I might carry that negativity into the next scene and the next and the next and the next. He encouraged me to just practice letting go. Sure, he said, you'll always make mistakes or think about things you could have done differently, but nothing beats just being in the present. Learn what you can and move on. He asked, what are you missing by staying stuck in the past? And that's the question that really hits home for me. What in my life was I missing by staying mentally stuck on past mistakes? What was I missing by letting my fear of making a mistake hold me back? Life is happening right now, not in the past. So sure, there's nothing wrong with analyzing what I might improve upon next time, but then let it go. Don't miss the life that is happening right now by dwelling on a past memory. It's gone, it's never coming back, but you'll have a million chances to create a new moment if you just pay attention to what's going on right here and right now, because really, that's all we ever have. Uh, I'd like to think that my scenes have really improved since then, both on and off stage. I sing with a couple musical improv teams and I love it. And in general, I'm happier. I take more chances. And most of all, I'm more forgiving of myself. And that little nugget right there, that little piece of wisdom of forgiving myself is something that I will forever be grateful for with the art of improv. Hi, my name is Alyssa Clifton. I live in Niceville, Florida. That's up in the Panhandle, practically in Lower Alabama, y'all. And I am the director of Drama Kids of Northwest Florida, which I have owned for the last six years. Before I was the director of Drama Kids, I was a stay-at-home mom, although I had several side hustles. I have been raising my kids, and when this opportunity to be the director of Drama Kids kind of fell into my lap I was so excited and the more I got into it the more I realized everything I'd done in my whole life was training me for this particular point I had always said that the only thing I was professionally trained to do was raise children and that's because I had been a babysitter I had been a housekeeper I had worked at a toy store I had done um, a party business where I dressed up like Fairy Princess or Alice in Wonderland or Glenda the Good Witch, and I would show up at parties and have fun that way. Everything I did was preparing me to raise kids. But then as I was raising kids, it turns out everything I was doing was preparing me to be the director of Drama Kids because everything was theater. The crowd control, because I didn't have one kid. I have eight kids, and those eight kids have friends. And so managing that many children at any one time definitely got me ready for teaching crowds of children. And 
as the kids got older and there were more things that people do not tell you. They tell you, oh, you've got your hands full when you have little kids. When you get big kids, no one mentions that you're going to have to go to two chorus concerts and a band concert and football practice and soccer game all on the same day. So that kind of training was preparing me to be a producer, turns out, and a director. Uh, reading stories to my kids. I've always read stories to my kids, as do most moms. I've always done them with voices because it's, that's who I am. It's just more fun. And I feel like everything that I was doing, my side hustles of making and selling purses out of candy wrappers, that was more of the crafting. Helping out people when they were directing like a little play at church or teaching um, the girls in a youth group about confidence and speaking and making eye contact and poise because some people just looked at me and thought I had that kind of thing so they'd ask me to speak and I love that because I love when everyone's looking at me when I'm talking I love that kind of performance rush I'd been raising my kids my oldest one was out of the house now all the others were still home I had been doing things with one of my daughters I'd been doing forensics tournaments and judging her speech competitions and I loved it and I realized how much I was missing this in my life but I also realized my youngest one was four that in another year he'd be in school and that would be a great time to start some sort of a career so that if God forbid something happened to my husband, I could support myself and the children that I still had at home. And here's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go to nursing school like every other woman my age. I probably could have done it and I would have been okay at it, maybe even good, because I've spent a lot of time with a lot of kids and a lot of doctors. But I didn't really have a passion for that kind of thing. And then the opportunity to teach a drama kids class presented itself. And so I started going to the training for that. And the owner at the time of Drama Kids of Northwest Florida found out she was going to have to move. And she asked if I wanted her business. So I seized that opportunity. I love everything about the theater. It makes me so excited. Last year, I was getting ready for a show with one of my classes and I'm always giving them a pep talk right before they go on and one of the little girls in my class said drama mama because that's what they call me she goes drama mama you're smiling so big and I said that is because I am so excited for you guys to go up there and do your show aren't you excited and they're like yes I am and a couple of them said they were nervous and I said that's okay because everyone who is here came to see you succeed and they did and that's what I love and that's what I wanted to share with you today well that's it for today if you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello, follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast, or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast, or send me an email anytime to podcast at emilystamets.com. Take a second right now to hit that subscribe button and tell your friends how awesome you think this podcast is so they can subscribe too. If you or someone you know would make a great guest, email the Find Your Light team, which is currently comprised of yours truly and my cat. You can reach us both at podcast at emilystamets.com. 
If you'd like to share your thoughts and stories on the podcast, leave a message at 858-333-7713, which spells absolutely nothing relevant, or email an audio file to podcast at emilystamets.com. Until next time, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.